Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. First Samuel chapter 4, it says this. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and encamped beside Ebenezer. And the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines. Now let's just pause for just a moment. Because if you know anything about the Bible, you know that the Israelites are the good guys and the Philistines are the bad guys. This is kind of like how the whole Old Testament works. It's like this showdown over and over and over again with the Israelites and the Philistines. And then every once in a while you meet like the Amalekites or the Ammonites and they just like kind of creep in. But then it's back to the main story. Right, it's like Batman and Joker. And then every once in a while he deals with like Mr. Freeze and you're like, where'd he come from? And like, back to the Joker. Um, so you got the Philistines and the Israelites. I would love to see Mr. Freeze in a, in a anyways, doesn't matter. Not like the, not Arnold Schwarzenegger, Mr. Freeze, like a real one. Anyways, um, so Philistines and Israelites and this is sort of, they, they go toe to toe over and over again. But the story of the Bible is that the Israelites are God's chosen people. The Israelites are God who God promised to bless the whole world through their descendants. And so usually, most of the time you read about their stories, they win. But we're told here that the Israelites go to battle with the Philistines. And the Philistines won. And they killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people of Israel had come into the camp, the elders said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? They ask this question and they answer the question. They say, let us bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us, that when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. Now, this story, it begins with Israel going to battle against the Philistines and they lose. Now, after their loss, they're sort of upset and confused about why they lost this battle. Because they kind of know the story. They're like, wait a second. We're the children of Israel. We're God's promised nation. So why are we losing battles? They ask this question. They're like, well, this isn't, this isn't right. We're the good guys. They're the bad guys. Right? And they're, they're sort of assessing. And so this, this assessment comes because they have some understanding of the promise of God. Perhaps this verse from Joshua comes to their mind. Joshua 23, a promise to the people of Israel. It says, one man of you shall chase a thousand for the Lord your God is he who fights for you as he promised you. This was a promise given to the people of Israel before 1 Samuel chapter 4. That the Israelites, one of them, can chase a thousand and be victorious. So they go back to after they lose the battle and they go, what gives? We're supposed to win these things. Like we, God is on our side. One of us should be able to defeat a thousand of them. And yet I, yet we lost. And so maybe they have an idea of the promise and they're confused as to why it didn't work in their life. They don't realize that there's something missing. Now, maybe we've experienced something similar. We feel like as Christians, we're losing battles. Maybe the battle isn't like with an arch enemy like the Philistines, but we find ourselves struggling and losing in the battle of our flesh and sin. We think, wait a second, I thought the Bible said I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, and yet I find myself continually falling and failing in some area of sin. 
Maybe it's not some sin. Maybe it's a mindset. Maybe you find yourself losing the battle of your mind. There's thoughts that we're supposed to take captive. There's things that we're supposed to think on, meditate on, things that are good and lovely and praiseworthy. And we find ourselves thinking, like Shane would say, junk food thoughts. Like all of these thoughts that are easy to think about, but they're negative and bring us down. We find ourselves losing the battle of our mind. And maybe you have an understanding of the Bible. The Bible says you're more than a conqueror. The, the Bible says that God will never leave you nor forsake you. The Bible says that God has a plan for your life, plan for prosperity to be victorious, and yet you find yourself over and over again losing battles. So these guys, they're in that camp. I've lost battles. We keep losing battles. What's going on? And they come up with an answer, and we'll talk about it in just in a moment. But the point is, and this is really my only thought for tonight, is this. In order to experience all that God has for you, Christ must be the center of your life. Okay, this is going to be the conclusion. We're going to start with the conclusion, and then we're going to see them go through some wrong avenues that will ultimately get us there. But the conclusion... The reason, the way we find victory in our life is recognizing that in all things, Christ must be the center of our life. He has to be number one. He has to be first in our life. He has to be above everything else. Sometimes, oftentimes, we don't have God in his proper place, and as a result, we find ourselves sort of squirreling around. We find ourselves failing or, or stuck or struggling because we don't recognize that Christ is actually not in his proper place. And I think many of us want the benefits and promises of God without placing Jesus in the proper place in our life. One author, one writer would say it like this, we want the kingdom of heaven without the king. We want all of the benefits, all of the promises, all of the goodness of the kingdom of God, but we don't want the king of the kingdom. It's also been said that unless Jesus is Lord of all, he's not Lord at all. And so sometimes we have a misplaced uh, 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 sort of, we have Jesus misplaced in our life, and as a result, we find ourselves struggling. In order to have the kingdom of heaven, we have to have the king in the proper place. In order to have Jesus as Lord of all of our life, he actually has to be Lord of all in our lives. And when Jesus is not the center of our lives or he's viewed as something else entirely, we miss out on the victory and the joy and the purpose that's available to us. And there's a tendency to not make God center, but to view him as a commodity or like his work is completed and he can't do anything new in our lives. That's where what we're going to see with the rest of the story. They viewed God as a commodity or they viewed him as completed or like he can't do anything in our life. Let's continue with the story. Look at verse 4. So the people went to Shiloh that they might bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Now pause just real quick to catch us up. They go to battle. They lose. They go back in the locker room. They're like, we lost. <laughs> what, what happened? And somebody's like, we need the Ark of the Covenant. And somebody's like, okay, get the Ark of the Covenant. 
We'll talk about what that is in a moment. But so they go, they get it. They bring the priests, Eli, uh, Hophni, and Phinehas. They, they come with the Ark of the Covenant, verse 5. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now, when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they were afraid. They said, what does this sound of the great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. Woe to us, who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you don't become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Ark of the Covenant comes. The Israelites are like, yes, so loud that the earth shakes. And the Philistines are like, uh, what was that? And then somebody's like, oh, we heard that the Ark of the Covenant has come. And they're like, uh-oh, that's not good. The Ark of the Covenant means that the God of Israel is there. And if the God of Israel is there, he's the one that led them victoriously out of Egypt. And he's the one that delivered them into the promised land. And if he shows up, we're toast. And then they give a pep talk. And they say, listen, they say, you fight like a man, okay? <laughs> you go out there and you fight because we don't want to work for them, okay? So you go and do it. And then they're like, all right, <laughs> let's, let's do it, let's fight. So listen, verse 10, the Philistines fought, here's the key, and Israel was defeated. Okay. Philistines, bad guys. Israelites, good guys. Philistines are afraid. They go fight like men and they go out and they defeat the Israelites. So there was a very great slaughter and there fell in Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Listen, also the ark of God was captured and the two sons of Eli, the priests or the prophets, Hophni and Phinehas died. Okay, let's talk about this for a moment. What's going on? The Ark of the Covenant was the vessel that represented God's presence on the earth. The Bible tells us now that we are the temple of the living God, that the Holy Spirit dwells in you, that Jesus Christ makes his home within your heart, okay? Before that, God would dwell in a place, in a location, a singular location. And that was represented, God was not the box, but his presence was represented by the box or the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant would stay in the tabernacle in the Holy of Holies. Okay, so the tabernacle was the temporary meeting place for the people of God and God. The tabernacle was first built in the wilderness when the Israelites were going from Egypt into the promised land. Are you guys with me? So this tabernacle would be built up and then there in the tabernacle, what was called the Holy of Holies would dwell the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, it was this box overlaid with gold. Inside of it was the Ten Commandments. Inside of it was Aaron's rod that budded. Inside of it was manna that God used that, to provide for the people in the wilderness. But the Ark of the Co Covenant represented God's presence on the earth. The Ark of the Covenant would remain in the Holy of Holies unless the tabernacle was moving. Okay, the tabernacle was designed to be a temporary structure. They would set it up, they would worship God, and then as they moved, 
as God led them through the wilderness, ultimately into the promised land, they would pack up the tabernacle. The priests would carry the Ark of the Covenant. They would lead the way and they would go to the next location. Are you still with me? I'm saying all this because it matters. I wouldn't be saying it if it didn't matter. Um, but the Ark of the Covenant represented God's presence on the earth. And the, the Ark of the Covenant would remain within the Holy of Holies unless it was being moved by the priests. And apart from the movement, it would remain there in the Holy of Holies, only seen by the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement. So the Ark of the Covenant didn't make like a whole lot of debuts. It didn't like just strut through the street and everybody's like, oh, there's the Ark. It's out. It's Tuesday. That's right. The Ark comes out. It would stay, and probably now that they're settled in the land, there's probably a lot of the generation that had never seen the Ark of the Covenant because it stayed in the Holy of Holies only to be seen by the high priest once a year on the Day of Atonement. The Ark has gone to battle in the past, but only when they were moving, not when it was set up or when it was stationary. So the situation that we're reading about, the Ark of the Covenant just going out, leaving the Holy of Holies, and going into battle has never happened before. How do I know that? Well, verse 7, the Philistines tell us that. They say, this has never happened before. I love that. It's like, I just picture like, period, this has never happened before, period. Like this, wow, this is crazy. So it's never happened before, but in desperation... The people come up with an idea to bring the ark of God into battle. Now, why? Why do they do this? And then why does it end in their losing? Because they think we've got this genius idea. But the reason is to put it very simply is they were viewing God as a commodity, not as the center. They were doing this for a couple reasons. One, they were worshiping the idea of God, not God. They made, listen to me, they made the Ark of the Covenant an idol. Idolatry was a common practice in their day. It was one of the things that constantly plagued the people of Israel. It was difficult for them to worship an invisible God. So they wanted something that they could see or understand or explain. So they would reduce God down to an item whether it was some sort of shrine or or some sort of uh, structure, or in this case, a box. They say God is not the God who dwells in the heavens and the heavens of heavens. God is this box. And in order for us to win this battle, we need to bring the box to battle. And they weren't worshiping God, the God that's revealed himself to them, who dwells between the cherubim. They're worshiping the box. Now, Although physical idolatry isn't common for us today, reducing God down to an idea or some religious act is. We probably don't have the problem of going home and finding our little shrine or our box and bowing down and worshiping it. But we have a very serious problem of taking other things and making it God. Some idea, some action, some, some whatever it is. We aren't worshiping God. We're worshiping some idea of God. Because listen, it's easier to do religious acts than to actually turn to Jesus. Because we want God to be a genie rather than a savior. We, we want God to just show up, fight my battles, give me victory, make me blessed, and then move along. God, you can show up when it's convenient for me. 
You can fight my battles. You can give me victory. You can help me feel the way I want to feel. And then that's good. That's enough. You don't have to like impose. You don't have to overstay your welcome. Please just show up, do what I want you to do, and then be on your way. Be a nice house guest, right? You ever had people come over and they stay over for a little bit too long? Like, hey, everybody's gone, but it's time for you to go too. Sometimes we view God like that. Like, okay, party's over, man. I got it. We're good. Move along. And it's easy to carry this sort of mindset into our relationship with God. We view God as a means to an end. God, you show up and you give me peace. God, you show up and you make me happy. God, you show up and you find me a spouse. Or God, you show up and you, you get me a job. Or you show up and you help me feel some type of way. And we view God as a means to an end. We're not worshiping God for who he is, but we're worshiping the idea of God that grants me whatever I want. And like the Israelites, it's easy to make God a commodity. And they did it because they were worshiping the idea, not the reality. But then secondly, they did it because the world around them did it. They come up with the idea to bring their box into battle because the other idol worshipers would often bring their gods into battle. Their worship of God began to be influenced by the world around them. God had given them instruction in his word for how they were to behave how they're to go to battle, how they're to worship him. And rather than looking to his word, they're looking out at the world around them for direction. I don't have to go into too much detail or like sort of tug on this point too much to say that this is common for us in our church today. We shape our worship, our decisions, our viewpoints, not based upon the word of God, but based upon the world around us. Because it's really easy to think that just because the loudest voices are saying it, that must mean it's true. Can I tell you that just because someone's the loudest does not make it the truth? We need to shape our worldview. We need to shape our identity. We need to shape our ideology, not based upon what we see or what, we, what is posted or what the majority of people are saying. We need to shape our reality based upon God's word because that's the truth that never fails. And it's important for us to recognize that we don't shape our views by what the world is telling us to shape our views like. We say, what does the Bible say? What does God's word say? What is his heart on this situation? And that's how we shape our worldview. And the call of the follower of Jesus is always to shape our view of the world through the lens of God's word, not the other way around. But when we reduce God to a commodity, it's so easy to simply view him as some religious act or allow him to be shaped by the world that we live in. God is God, and he's supposed to be central in our lives. Now, maybe we don't view God as a commodity. Maybe we're not here and we think like, oh, yeah, I'm just here because I want God to bless me, and I want God to be like a genie that answers all my wishes. But maybe we think that God doesn't work or he can't work. Maybe we're losing battles or we feel like we're stuck or we feel like we're trapped, not because we have the miss sort of placement of God, but really we just don't think that God actually does anything. It's really easy for us to go, actually, I don't even, I don't really think that God is hardly real. I definitely don't think he shows up in my life. And we think that he's done, his work is done or he's completed or he 
can't. Let's continue with the story. Um, We're going to jump down in verse 19. In the verses between, remember we're told that um, the sons uh, Hophni and Phinehas died. That's the sons of the priest or the prophet Eli. They die and the Ark of the Covenant gets taken into battle. And the news comes back to Eli, who was the, the prophet of the day. And they tell him, hey, your sons are dead, and the Ark of the Covenant uh, is taken into battle. And we're told that he fell out of his chair and died because he was old and heavy. That's what we're told. Um, and it's, I'm just, I can't make it up. That's what it says. He's old and heavy. He fell out of his chair and he died. Um, verse 19 is tough. Verse 19 says this. Now his daughter-in-law, that's Eli's daughter-in-law, who Eli's the guy that fell out of his chair, Phineas' wife was with child due to be delivered. And when she had heard the news that the ark of God was captured and that her father-in-law and her husband were dead, she bowed herself and gave birth for her labor pains came upon her. And about the time of her death, the women who stood by her said to her, don't fear for you've born a son. But she didn't answer, nor did she regard it. Then she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory has departed from Israel, because the ark of God has been captured because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory has departed from Israel, for the ark of God has been captured. So the story, basically, the Israelites lose, the ark of the covenant gets stolen, uh, uh, the sons of the prophet die, and then the prophet dies. And this, the daughter-in-law, the wife of one of the guys that died was pregnant. And immediately, because of the, the, the tragedy, the news, she immediately goes into uh, labor and gives birth. And after that, which, which uh, having a child goes from uh, what I've heard is like extreme pain to like great love in a moment. Right? You forget about, Jesus even says that, you forget about the pain because of the, the child that's been born. And rather than becoming a source of joy, she doesn't even look at it. She doesn't even acknowledge her, her child that's been born. And the women that helped her deliver said, hey, you've, you've, you've born a son. And she says, name him Ichabod. Now Ichabod, even in, Jesus saying Ichabod doesn't sound like a great name. Right? Like if your name's Ichabod, I'm sorry. Um, it's just not, a, it just sounds harsh, you know, it's like, ugh, Ichabod, um, ich, Abad, you know, um, so, but, but what it means, it literally means, well, it, it tells us, it means that the glory has departed. Kabod is the, the Hebrew word for glory and the, the, the negative preface before it, it just literally means no glory, no glory. That's what she says about her son. No, nothing special. No glory. And what's happening is this woman, her view of God was that his presence and his glory was departed and completed. What she's saying is that God God can't work anymore. What she's saying is maybe God at one point worked Maybe he works for other people. Maybe God finds victors elsewhere, but God can't work now. When she looks out at the world and all that's happened, it's pretty easy to see why she thinks this, right? She looks out and she sees social unrest. 
She sees that crime is running rampant. Everyone is doing what's right in their own eyes. The Israelites just lost another battle to the Philistines. The Ark of the Covenant has been taken captive. Her husband is dead. The high priest is dead. The glory is gone. That's, that's her assessment as she views the world around her. Now, let me ask us, is the glory gone? Is God done working? Is her assessment based upon the world around her and the future correct based upon what she's experiencing? Well, let's just look at it. We're in 1 Samuel chapter 4. We're we're right here in our Bible. This is where we're at in our Bible. (laughs) Is the glory gone? The, The Bible isn't even beginning yet. We still have so much glory about God still to come. In just a few chapters, we're going to meet King David who will establish the nation. Solomon will then build the temple. We'll meet Elijah and Elisha, some of the greatest prophets in Israel's history. Then the writing prophets will show up and prophesy of a coming Messiah and kingdom. Then we will meet the Messiah. He will do many signs and wonders. He will preach of the kingdom of God. He will then die for the sins of all humanity, providing atonement for all that would believe. He will then rise from the dead, displaying the fullness of his power and glory. From there, a group of about 12 men will be commissioned to share the gospel. The Holy Spirit will pour out in an upper room on about a hundred people and the church will be birthed. And against all odds, the gospel message will spread to the whole world. Rome will become a relic and the gospel will transform the world from that point on. Is the glory gone? Is God done? No, he's just getting started. And yet so often, it's so easy for us to assess God in light of our current circumstances. We go, oh, I'm dealing with so much pain and so much worry and I've got no friends and I have no future and I'm just stuck in this sin and I'm never gonna get out. God, you must be done. It must be over. The best must be behind me and and this is just it now. Can I tell you that God's not done? That he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. That all the promises are still yes and amen for you. That God is still working in your life. And you don't have to view God in light of your current circumstance. God's glory is not completed. He's just beginning in your life. And he's faithful to complete what he started in you. Can I encourage you guys as you... As you worship team, you could come up here. But as you guys begin or have begun a new school semester, some of you leaving, maybe some of you thinking like, I I know for some of you that are leaving for school, this is your experience of church is right here in this room. And you think maybe that's it. Maybe it's over now. Maybe I will never experience God like I have before. God's just getting started in your life. And he is faithful to complete what he's begun in you. Continue to seek him and allow God to continue to work in your life. I'm going to go back to, with, to what I began with. In order to experience all that God has for you, Christ must be at the center of your life. Keep Jesus first and he will continue to work in your life and you'll be able to experience his perfect plans for you. Keep Jesus at the center of your life. What does that mean? 
Well, that means everything that I do, every decision that I make is for the glory and honor of Jesus. Everything that I do, I'm going to do my best to invite God into it. Okay, I'm going out on, my, on, on the football field or I'm going into the classroom or I'm going out on this sailboat or I'm doing what, going to the, whatever it is. And I'm saying, Jesus, would you show up with me? God, would you help me keep you at the forefront of my mind? And Lord, would you help me be a light to the people around me? Keep Jesus at the center of my life. Help ask Jesus to keep him, keep him at the center of my attitudes. I don't wanna be swayed by what's going on, how people treat me or how they mistreat me. Jesus, help me keep you at the center of my attitudes. I'm gonna keep Jesus at the center of my life and then I'm gonna build practices, disciplines into my life that help me stay focused on him. Can I encourage you? Download the Bible app and start a Bible plan. Read the Bible. Get it in your heart. Get it in your life. Make sure you you make it a discipline, a routine for you. The, The only time you get in God's word should not be here on a Thursday night. This should be like the the, the party, but you should have the steady diet every week or every day, right? If you only ate once a week, that would be so sad. (laughs) You'd be missing out on so much. Get in God's word, build a discipline in your life. Keep Jesus at the center of your life and you'll find you'll be able to experience all that God has for you.